Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello. I'm John Elledge, and this is Skylines, the City Metric podcast. If you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that I've, I have, I've expressly stated two goals uh, for the podcast this year. One of them is to get back to, to a normal schedule of a podcast a week, which is still proving difficult for reasons which I'm not going to bore you with here, but if you follow me on, on social media, you'll probably have some idea. Uh, it's not a work thing, just, just, you know, life, life gets in the way sometimes. But, you know, we are going to get back to the weekly schedule as soon as we can, you know, bear with us. The other goal that I've stated is to to make the podcast a bit more international this year. So so this isn't this is kind of another another show in that in, in that genre. We talked about Africa, we talked specifically about uh Somaliland and its its capital Hargeisa with with uh the Somali activist Nimko Ali a couple of weeks ago. And this week we we are going back to Africa. This week though it's it's my interviewee is is another fairly well spoken white English male uh a journalist who 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 I know via the internet. So, so you can almost hear the exact point at which I suddenly become aware that we're two white English blokes talking about how to fix Africa and become, become really uncomfortable with that. If you listen carefully, you can hear that exact moment. You can also, if you listen carefully, hear my interviewee's cat. I'm Daniel Knowles and I'm the Africa correspondent for The Economist based in Nairobi and I report basically everything to do with Africa. That sounds like a, a pretty big beat. I mean, Africa's not small. No, it, it's a sort of uh, ridiculous piece. It's sub-Saharan Africa. The stuff that I'm most interested in are kind of the really economic stories that are not the straight economics, but the things about how people's lives kind of work. So infrastructure, cities, population change, and all of these things are happening in very rapid shifts in Africa at the moment, all over the continent, really, although it depends where you are. So you wrote a piece, not, not for The Economist, in fact, but for a website called CapEx, under the headline, Africa is urbanizing without globalizing what does that mean yeah i I should stress that that was kind of building on uh, a lot of reporting i have done for the economist but um you know what you have in africa is some of the um the fastest rates of of urbanization in the world you know the continent's about a third urbanized now and it's likely to be more than half by by 2030 you know nairobi where i live is growing at sort of four percent a year compared to london which i think is growing at about one percent a year and we think of as being kind of overwhelmed by population growth so these cities are growing really really quickly 
But what's not happening, and it does depend where you are, you know, Nairobi's more globalized than, say, Kinshasa, where I was last week, the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo. But they're not really connected to the outside world all that well. You know, you have little in the way of kind of export industries based in many of these cities other than the headquarters of mining or oil companies. You know, you don't have the kind of big factories or sweatshops that you get in big Asian cities. What you tend to have are kind of huge slums at the, you know, all through and at the outskirts of cities and people kind of scraping a living in the informal market, you know, selling stuff on the streets, living on rubbish dumps, even recycling it. So people have quite precarious existences in, in cities. And that's a big problem. I mean, I find this idea of uh, interconnectedness quite interesting. I mean, when, when you say these cities are not really connected to the world, are we talking in like literal terms? You mean there literally aren't the physical connections? There aren't the flight paths? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Well, well, certainly that. I talked in my, my CapEx piece about Kinshasa, which is a city of up to 12 million people. People, nobody's really quite sure, but, uh, you know, a city as large as London and there are 11 international flights a day out of Kinshasa. And that's really its only kind of physical connection to much of the outside world for well-off people. I mean, the, there's the road to Angola, there's uh, the ferry to Congo Brazzaville opposite. But, um, you know, most Kinshasans or quinoa rather, are, are, they're never going to visit another country. They, they have maybe come in from the surrounding countryside. So physical connections are a problem. And you'll find that even in Lagos or Nairobi or, you know, what are seen as the big kind of economies, the big cities of, of Africa, you know, other than kind of Johannesburg and Cape Town, really, you know, there just aren't that many connections to the outside world. So that means that it's slow for businesses to come in. It's uh, slow for investors. So that's part of the problem. But there's also the kind of lack of, you know, Internet connectivity. There's the fact that these cities just aren't particularly global in what they produce. That's kind of my next question, really, is like this doesn't seem to have been a problem in urbanization elsewhere, really. Like when Europe urbanized or North America or, or more recently Asia, places were reasonably connected. They spent a lot on sort of roads and airports and so on. So why is this not happening in Africa? Well, this is the interesting question, because, yeah, if you look at urbanization in other regions of the world, it has very often been driven by globalization. You know, think of Manchester kind of exporting cotton across the world or, or Birmingham, you know, better trinkets in the 19th century. Or, you know, now the kind of big factory cities of China, which are grown on huge exports. What seems to be happening in, in Africa is that really the urbanization has been driven partly by population growth, partly by changes in the countryside, which have, have um, led people to leave leave the land, but also partly by the kind of growth of cities as consumption centers. So what you have, especially in those countries which are very dependent on mineral and oil exports, so think Nigeria or or Angola, you know, you have a sort of a small elite who are concentrating their spending in cities. So they want restaurants and nice houses and uh, nightlife and whatever. And then a kind of huge, poor population living basically on the scraps of that spending. You know, it's a uh, bit of a, a Dutch disease, really. The kind of, you know, most of these countries are oil exporters. I mean, are, are food importers. The rise in commodity prices makes it in expensive economies. And so people flock to the city where those rents are being expended because they can't make money kind of growing, you know, unproductive agriculture in, in the countryside, you know, or they can make more in the city, but not enough, as it were. So it's the difference basically between like one of pull and push factors like it sounds 
feels like people are sort of leaving the countryside and going to the cities in a lot of African countries because they don't have much of a choice rather than because it's this amazing land of opportunity. Well, quite. I mean, it tends to be that people are still better off in cities than they are in the countryside. You know, they have better access to to healthcare, you know, to to services, education, things like that, and and they'll tend to make a bit more money. But you know, that's really a comparison to to kind of really desperate poverty in the countryside. So people are moving for the opportunity, but what they're finding is that there's not as much opportunity as you would hope there would be. You know, there's not as much growth in African cities of a sort of genuine urban middle class in the way that urbanization seems to have created elsewhere in the world. So yeah, so that's a problem. People are moving from desperate poverty into only slightly less desperate poverty rather than to affluence. <laughs> So I, I realise we're talking fairly big questions here, and it's also we are talking about you know fifty odd countries. So uh, there, there is a certain amount of, of kind of um, oversimplification at work, I'm sure. But why is this middle class not emerging? Like, why is it that in somewhere like Kinshasa there aren't kind of you know, nice Tony suburbs where everyone works for I don't know marketing branding firms or something? Like, why has this just not happened? I think I think it's particularly a problem in uh, resource exporting countries where you know the cost of of doing anything other than than kind of exporting oil or, or mineral products is so high that there's no creation you know th- those industries employ very few people and they concentrate the money that they earn among the kind of political elite generally and it crowds out other businesses but even in countries like Kenya you know there's just the costs of manufacturing are so high the costs of running those sort of businesses which allow people to move you know into an urban middle class just haven't really grown enough there's still very little industry in in much of sub-saharan africa and relative to the economy in general it's been shrinking in most countries you know manufacturing is sort of growing less slowly than the rest of rest of the economy and that's you know it's not just manufacturing you also don't really have the service sector stuff that's created a middle class in say india you don't have call centers or or whatever and um yeah so that's kind of the problem it's the lack of those middle class industries i i still feel like we're we're just using different words to describe the problem rather than try actually explain it i mean is it is it the lack of infrastructure is it lack of skills is it is, is it something about the kind of political or regulatory regime or yeah it's a mix of all those things i mean infrastructure is pretty pretty bad across the continent improving in many places but um you know very expensive ports very expensive transit costs you know very poor roads that's one thing that's definitely a huge problem for you know for for, for manufacturers i mean take for example nigeria which generates less electricity than north korea a country of 180 million and you know north korea is not exactly rich you know so so those are those infrastructure problems are huge but you also have political corruption which raises the cost of business you have uh, problems in education you know those changing people are getting more educated but uh, often a shortage of technical skills that are needed all of these things kind of compound together but i think there's in cities, there's the additional problem of really poor use of land, you know, which sometimes dates back to colonial planning, sometimes to decisions since, you know, these are badly laid out cities. And that that adds to a problem. That adds to the problems as well. So. OK, so let's let's talk about cities. I mean, which ones? I, I, I'm painfully aware that we're two white English media guys <laughs> talking about the entire continent of Africa, which is a little bit awkward. But let's let's roll with that. Like, we, let's try and sort of drill down a bit. You know, which which countries which cities actually seem to to function well in your experience and which not um, so much well johannesburg and cape town you know and uh, and durban the big cities of south africa all 
stand out. You know, they have their problems, but they have got some public transport. You know, they, South Africa is kind of slightly different to the to the rest of sub-Saharan Africa, which is obviously diverse in itself. But those are cities which I think have some of the problems of uh, American cities, but, you know, over-dependence on the car, but not quite in the same way. But, um you know, there are places that are improving. I mean, Addis Ababa opened uh, the first um, metro in sub-Saharan Africa outside of South Africa um, in 2015. There's, you know, changes going on in Kigali and Rwanda. Uh, there's new roads being built in Nairobi and, you know, in, in, in Lagos. You know, changes kind of slowly coming, but the problems are fairly universal. It's hard to pick out a city that's really thriving right now um addis might be your best bet or possibly abidjan in cote d'ivoire a lot of the problems in in these sort of big cities often seem to come back to the fact that it's kind of hard to retrofit good infrastructure once Absolutely. you've got once you've got sprawl you've got sprawl and you can't sort of just think right now we'll build a couple of metro lines and everything will be sorted absolutely that that's a, a big problem and you have slums very little land that's actually available for roads and a very wonky land use so so you have too few roads but also yeah it's very hard to build a a new railway line through a slum you know especially with governments that tend to be seen as quite or which tend to are quite authoritarian you know slum clearances is rightly looked on as uh, often very exploitative and, and destructive. You know, it's kicking people out of their homes and there aren't governments in many places that just have the capability to kind of do that humanely. So, yes, yeah, so retrofitting is a huge problem. You also just have the fact that the, the priorities of, of politicians in countries are, are too often centred around the fairly well-off elite. So there's a lot of construction of expressways and roads which connect new suburbs um, and not so much that helps link up slums where the majority of people live to to where they might be able to get better jobs so people are really you know if they're not if they don't have a car often endure very very bad commutes um you know that's the case even in yeah johannesburg and cape town you know the wealthiest cities uh in sub-saharan africa so and and the point is presumably that like and unless there is kind of that sort of ladder for people sort of lower down in the sort of economic structures kind of pull themselves up and the city's just not going to quality of life's not going to develop so if if it's difficult to kind of pin down examples of cities that work well can we at least kind of talk about which 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 countries maybe have sort of decent governing regimes which are kind of a key part of of the infrastructure you need to fix this stuff i mean presumably some african countries are are governed better than others yeah So you can look at the the state government of Lagos um, has been quite good in some ways. It's not great, but uh, you know one one thing that has worked quite well is um, private um, finance infrastructure and things like toll roads. You know, which um, then pay for themselves. And um, you know, given that African governments have very high um, debt costs, that servicing costs, that's less controversial than it would be in the West, you know, where government could borrow more cheaply. Um, so toll roads, those are the sort of things that can, can work quite well. Um, Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, government has been quite good on those sorts of things too. So, yeah, or, or Ethiopia has been quite good at kind of marshalling its own resources to build infrastructure, um, often bringing in, you know, Chinese contractors and things. Um, so it's not that there's no progress happening. It's just that it's often quite slow and in many parts of the continent not happening at all. And it's facing this enormous growth in the populations of cities. So you really have to be building a lot. You really have to be changing a lot just to kind of uh, keep up with demand, because every year there's, you know, 
three or four percent growth in the urban population in most kind of African capital cities or many. So that's kind of, that's a crazy numbers. It's just completely yeah. impossible to imagine like how you would deal with that, even in a, a, a city like London or New York or something. Well, especially, well, precisely. especially in a city like London, because we don't let anyone build anything. But that's a whole that's a whole different problem. So, I mean, as, as I've alluded to a couple of times, I feel very awkward about the fact that I don't know very much about Africa. And in my mind, like, obviously, I know there's, what is it, 54 countries in Africa, but only a few of them have kind of a sort of distinct definition in my mind in a way like France or Spain or Canada do. And I, I don't think I'm unusual in this. I mean, do, do you think this is a problem for the continent because also you know investors perhaps don't necessarily recognize the difference between niger and botswana say well i i think yeah um you know a lot of academics get quite uh, nervy about generalizing about the continent and they are, you know often have a good point but i think urbanization is one of those things that's you know happening Almost everywhere. There are a few exceptions. Um, Zimbabwe, for example, so, you know, there's a lot of debate about Zimbabwe supposedly going out of urbanization um, as its economy has struggled. Um, but yeah, if you look very broadly, you have these very young populations almost everywhere on the continent um, is the median age under 19 and fast growing cities as young people. Uh, as they do everywhere, move to cities looking for opportunity. And there are very few cities that you can point to where they are finding that opportunity or where that opportunity is on the level that we would hope for looking at what urbanization has done for people in, say, Vietnam or uh, China or India or Bangladesh even. Um, you know, it, if if Africa can't kind of find a way to urbanize that creates more of a middle class, then you're going to end up with, you know, a lot of very unhappy people in in cities who aren't able to find jobs, who aren't able to build lives. And uh, cities are, you know, can be febrile, explosive places. Um, so, yeah, so I think it, it should be a big worry for anybody on the who's investing in the continent, really, um, and anybody, you know, who's just interested in, in well, anybody, really, at all <laughs> in the world, because there's potentially going to be two billion Africans by 2050, so. Okay, so... Again, I'm feeling slightly awkward about asking this because, you know, it's, it just feels a little bit imperialist. But what the hell? How are we going to fix this? Come on, you and me on this podcast. What are we going to do to make this better? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there are, you know, there are global institutions which can do a better job. I mean, the World Bank, for example, um, does some fantastic work in researching the problems of African cities. A lot of my reporting has sort of relied on their data. But, you know, they could do some of their projects to do with things like electrification and slum upgrading are not always brilliantly designed. There's, you know, improvements that can happen there. Uh, you know, there are ways in which uh, aid could be used to encourage, you know, prioritizing improvements in 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 slums but i mean ultimately i think these are problems that africans have to fix for themselves and they're going to take the growth of you know a politics that produces urban change you know you need african joseph chamberlains people who go and look at their city's problems and and you know embark on big changes to fix them and i i slightly worry that the african elite in the way that you know the 19th century kind of british elite are able to cut themselves off from urban problems um you know in the slums of the you know, the late 19th century, you know, um, you couldn't avoid the sewage or the disease if you were rich. So, you know, so there was a reason to invest in a huge sewage system. Um, you kind of can if you're wealthy in Lagos. But yeah, it's going to take 
change from Africans themselves. And I think that will come, but I worry not quickly enough. So you've alluded a couple of times to the fact that individual cities are, are doing better than others. I mean, do you think that solutions will come from good city governments rather than good national ones? Yeah, absolutely. And they kind of they are in play. In, what you need is is better city governance. And that I think could could be happening. You, you know, there's an argument to say or to hope at least that urban people will look more clearly at their interests, be less likely to vote on, say, ethnic lines that has been a big problem in many countries. So so I sort of hope so. But uh, and city governance will be a good part of that. But um, hard to say, really. Well, let's hope Benjamin Barber is right and that cities can save the world. Yeah, absolutely. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.